God's voice. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that uh, we get to, with Jesus, call you our Father. Thank you for uniting us to, to Christ and sharing with us all that he is and all that he has, including his righteousness and his sonship, so that we can come to you and, and receive from you now. Um, Lord, and, and we ask that you would use uh, this sermon and, and this sermon series uh, to increase our conversation with, with you. Would, you. would you help us to hear from you this morning, and would you stir up in us such a passion and a desire to go back to you in prayer and to cry out for the things you're telling us to cry out for here, that your name would be held, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. And Lord, would you make that the, the primary, uh, the chief desire, the chief affection of our lives, that your glory is made known, that your kingdom comes, that your will is done, so that uh, we, we, uh, we not only pray this, but we embody these petitions and pursue uh, their being fulfilled with our, with our very lives, but also wait on you for them to be fulfilled because we know that you are the only God, the only one, the only sovereign one who can answer these prayers. Lord, and so would you work in us this morning? Would you sanctify us in your truth, Lord? Your word is truth. Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you cause us, uh, would you help us to receive from you now? Lord, would you make the word effectual in our hearts? Would you stir our affections for you? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Garrison. I'm... I'm incredibly uh, privileged to um, open up God's Word with you and for you this morning. I am humbled. Um, Brian, thank you very much for leading as you do week in and week out. Those words are shaped by Scripture and empowered by the Spirit as we think carefully over those and believe those and open our mouths and sing together. And to step into this kind of environment and open up the Word of God is an incredible privilege for that. To be introduced like Garrison does uh, is humbling. Um, he helps me a lot. He helps me a ton. And uh, I just want to say thank you for that. In fact, I was down in Louisville this last week at a, um, a class uh, doing some studies. And uh, it was late at night, and I was finishing this sermon, and Garrison helped me a lot. He helped me a lot by first sending a text. And he said, Dear brother, uh, I'm praying for you right now. And I just looked up in... Uh, the commentary in Calvin, if you know anything about Garrison, you know that he sups on Calvin and those guys. And so he read what Calvin would have said from this text. And he said, um, may your preaching be a, I think you called it a prescription of praise. And I thought that is such a great, and that actually propelled me into more writing and thinking and praying. And so some of this is a prescription of praise for, for all of us. So I 
thank Garrison for that. And then he sent me another text to, to help me as well. And he said, in addition to that, Dan, you might want to look over your manuscript again because you, you use a, a phrase and a term interchangeably throughout your manuscript. Sometimes it's, hallowed be your name. And other times you're saying, hollow your name. I don't think you mean hollow in the sense of empty his glory for us to look at. I started laughing. It was a typo. So this is hallowed be your name. And so what we're hoping to do is enter into this text with good definition, good understanding of hallowed be your name, not only to get a definition and a working way of understanding this, but to deeply appreciate it so that it gets into our hearts, through our lips, so that we're actually praying this kind of prayer regularly here at Veritas. So I want to start off with a young lady. This young lady is in my imagination. This young lady is a composite sketch. She's not real in that sense. I'm not looking at a 12-year-old girl that I know, and yet I've known many 12-year-old girls who look like this. I've known many 12-year-old boys who look like this. In fact, I know of a 55-year-old boy who has some similarities to this girl that I want to introduce you to. She is a 12-year-old middle school child, and right now she's scared. She stood in the mirror on a cold, gray Monday morning watching what she thought was just a waste of life. You could hear her mutter saying, all I want, all I want is to be accepted in this world. I want to be welcomed by those who are really cool. Her biggest worries in life, frankly, might make you laugh this morning. They are pimples and popularity. Yeah, she sees herself as blemished and banished. She feels unattractive in the eyes of the attractive. What is she going to do? I know what she wants to do. She wants to hide. She wants to cover up. And yet, there's something deep in her heart that she wants more than that. She wants to be at home. She wants to be connected with people. She wants relationships. So maybe, maybe the solution to her biggest concerns are actually in her control. If she does good things to cover up bad things, very important people might just say good things about her. And if this happens, she will achieve her plan. No more blemishes and no longer banishment. Our growing girl might just get what she really, really wants. Approval in the eyes of her VIP. Now she has a solution. She sets her sights on the reward of acceptance and sets out to do good things for wrong reasons. And in the end, she successfully succumbs to what Jesus said in this text, calling her a hypocrite. One who does good things for wrong reasons. One who looks and has an appearance of looking close to God while 
being so far from him. So here's my question for us this morning. Does the growing girl whose misplaced hunger for acceptance remind you of anyone? Do we ever take our eyes off of our Heavenly Father and desire to be made much of by those whose opinion matters most to us? You know how it works, don't you? It starts very small. We begin to lose attention and affection of our Heavenly Father. Our prayers then begin to fade. Frantically, we must find a substitute for our dim and distant Heavenly Father. So, we resort to manipulation. By doing good things for wrong reasons, our strategy is to get the reward of acceptance from our very own VIP. This very important person might be our spouse, might be our parents, our children. This VIP might be a colleague, a superior, or even just a friend. Our desperately sought out VIP perhaps is our boyfriend or maybe girlfriend. When the gospel seems irrelevant in our lives, unrelated to daily lives, my brothers and sisters, we are capable of doing anything, even practicing our righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. So, to protect us from hypocrisy, Jesus teaches us a patterned prayer. He wants us to pray... And he wants us to pray a certain way, and that certain way we just read. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. So if you have your Bibles open, that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to continue this series titled Prayer, and it is our hope that this six-part series on the Lord's Prayer will strengthen our fellowship to pray, that we as a church will be noticeably a house of prayer. Our deep desire is to see each of us changed, changed in our prayer life, both in structure and order, as well as strength and ardor. May focused and fervent prayer increase here at Veritas as a result of God's work through this series called prayer. So this is the second message, if I understand it rightly. And what we're going to do is we're going to focus on Matthew 6, verse 9, but just the second part of verse 9. And this message is structured in three phases. I think they captured that in the handout so you can kind of follow along. We can look at these three subheadings as little pegs on which you can hang some thoughts. You can write down a verse or two or a a question or, or some phrase that kind of grips you and that will remind you. You can think perhaps these three points are cubby holes into which you're just stuffing things as I preach, as I teach, as I talk, as you listen and think and pray and you can write some things down. And then tonight, next week, next year, you pull things out of these cubby holes and you, it renews your interest in what we were talking about. The, the first point, the first cubbyhole we're calling a seductive pitfall. We are on the topic of prayer, 
Yes, but before we get to the topic of prayer, before we get to chapter 6, verse 9, we have to broaden out our view and notice that it is in one big, huge text. And so as we read this, we won't read the whole thing, but as you would read this whole text, this context, it should help you shape and steer your understanding of the prayer that we're going to talk about this morning. This seductive pitfall we're calling reminds us of our growing girl in the introduction. This seductive pitfall is seductive. It really is tempting. It is really, really tempting to do good things for wrong reasons in order to get what we don't think we get from God. And so we're going to be looking at this pitfall, this seductive pitfall, so that we can understand point two, this specific prayer. Jesus has a very specific prayer. He doesn't want us to just think about hallowed be your name and then just in rote memory preach that and pray that over and over in some kind of an incantation. No, he wants us to see this as a patterned prayer. So we want to see this as structure on which a lively growing prayer life grows in a sense. And so we're going to look at this specific prayer, chapter 6, verse 9. And it'll be shaped by this big context that we're going to be looking at momentarily. As we come out of this, we're going to want application. We don't just want stuff to know and stuffed into these cubby holes. We want to pull it out. We want to press it on our hearts. We want our lives changed. We want our lips to be unfettered and talk to God in a certain way. And we want to be supernaturalists, don't we? We want to know that God hears us. He's our heavenly Father. We are children. We want Him to hear so that He gives us what we need. And we have this sweet, affectionate, childlike, Abba, Papa, won't you? Heavenly Father, grant, give, help. I'm scared. That kind of prayer line. And so we will look at this third and final, a satisfying practice. I call it satisfying because we're going to look at this seductive pitfall, and we're going to notice that this specific prayer guards us, guides us, helps us from this pitfall. In other words, it gives us the opposite of what we saw in the little girl in the introduction. And we'll have some kind of so satisfying, steering, affectionate connection with God through this prayer that we won't go into that pitfall. Does that make sense? That's kind of where we're going this morning. Let's start off with this seductive pitfall. The context for our our message here is chapters 5, 6, and 7. You do not want me to stand up here and preach chapters 5, 6, and 7. We'll get hungry. We'll get bored. We'll start filing out of here. It'll take a long, long time. But I want you to know that this is the context in which we find that little phrase, hallowed be your name. We know that this is the big context because look into your Bibles at chapter 5, verse 1. And what does it say? It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Notice verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and then we call it the Sermon on the Mount. So we have King Jesus ascending a mountain, chapter 5, verse 1, 
And now look with me in chapter 7, verse 28. Did I hit it? Testing, testing. This will be an interesting MP3 tomorrow, won't it? <laughs> Thanks. Chapter 7, verse 28, we read, And when Jesus finished these sayings. Remember what he did in chapter 5, verse 1? He was saying, and now he finished these sayings. And notice with me chapter 8, verse 1. And when he came down from the mountain. So there's our We'll call them literary markers, our, our bookends, okay? You have Jesus uh, going up a mountain, and then you have Jesus coming down a mountain. Within these two, going up and coming down, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. So when you want to understand things in here, you would read chapter 5, verse 1 to 8, 1, and get that sense there. As we would do that, I think we'd pull away and say, generally speaking, Jesus the new Moses, Jesus, the new leader of the new covenant, Jesus, our king, we, his servants, he is speaking a newness into our lives. And he's talking about kingdom living here and now. He's the king, he's arrived, and now he's going to speak about here and now daily living under the king in his kingdom. What we see as we start fast-forwarding to chapter 6, verse 9, is he's going to point out some danger in kingdom living here and now. There is danger today. There is danger right now in preaching. There is danger right now in fellowshipping. And he's going to pinpoint it so that he loves us so much that he does not want us to go to the rim and fall over into this seductive pitfall. And that danger is found in chapter 6, verse 1. When you come across a word like, beware, we know something is happening, right? Our 17-year-old um, wants to drive 24-7, 365. She just loves doing that. And... Uh, last night, two nights ago, when was that, honey? Anyway, there's, there's an ice storm that might be coming in. And we said, Kara, honey, th this isn't going to work. We don't want you out there. She got all flustered and whatnot. And we said, you can drive, but beware of patches. There could be black ice out there. If you hit black ice, you're going to know it. And so beware of those kinds of things. Jesus is saying something similar. Beware. He's not saying that you're doing that. He's just saying it's out there and you're tempted. It's seductive and you're going to go tumbling into it. And it's devastating in that pit. That's what he's saying. So what is it? Well, we read on and it says beware of 
practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. That's the seductive pitfall. Mm -hmm. And what he does then in verse 2 through 17 is gives us three illustrations of how that danger can be seen and applied. So we look down in here and we see chapter 6 verses 2 through 4. We see the first illustration of practicing our righteousness. And it's giving. That's a good thing. It's giving to the poor. That's a good thing. It's trying to alleviate misery in people who are broken. And we have resources. Veritas, we want to do that, don't we? Of course we do. That's a piety. That's a practice. That's a virtue. That's a discipline that is applauded in the Scriptures. But beware. There's a pitfall around there. The second one we see is in verses 5 through 15. And that's our theme for today. It's prayer. That's a good thing, right? Of course it's a good thing. And we are to pray. But, but beware. There's, there's a pitfall in that discipline, and we want to make sure that we are kept from that. And the last one is found in verses 16 through 18, and that's this discipline known as fasting, giving up the lesser things to enjoy the greater things. And it's a good thing, but beware. So... Here we are moving towards what Jesus calls the pattern prayer. And we want to get to what is it? Hallowed be your name. And all we've done so far is just see that there's danger in kingdom living here and now. What is it? Well, we notice that repetition, right? In verse 2 it says, we pray in order to be seen by men. There's the purpose clause. What we're looking at here is motivation. It doesn't say don't give. It says don't give in order to, right? And then in, in the, the second illustration is prayer. You see that in verse 5. It says uh, we, don't, we are not to pray like them who in order to be seen are trying to be made much of. There's there's this sense of shifting affection off of Heavenly Father onto mere man or woman or child or whomever and say, I want your attention, affection, I need you. And so I'm going to pray a certain way and just try to impress you. And we, we see that manifestly here in the, the text. In verse 14, you see fasting. Um, we're not to do that in order to be seen. So, in other words, what we're looking at here is motive and motivation, correct? We are to be careful that we don't do good things in order to be motivated by bad desires. That is to say, we don't want to do these good disciplines to shore up our inadequacies, our insufficiencies, our insecurities, by trying to impress people so that they will look at us and say compliments, say good things, build us up. That's essentially what he's getting at here. And so the seductive pitfall that Jesus alarms us over could be defined as doing good things for wrong reasons. And so he says, don't be a hypocrite. 
Don't act like you're so close to God and yet you're so far from Him in order to get approval from people. That is seductive. I have fallen into that many times. And that is a pitfall that hurts both the one committing that sin and people around the one committing that sin. So we want to be careful and we want to stay away from that rim so that we don't tumble into and splat in this thing called seductive pitfall. Why are we specifically looking at this seductive pitfall? One is beware, but also secondly, if we notice how it flows, we'll see that hallowed be your name has something to do with guarding us, safeguarding us, keeping us, moving us away from that kind of damage and destruction. In other words, it's the flip side of, of what hypocrites are doing. Does that make sense? And so they are praying a certain way, they're giving a certain way, they're fasting a certain way, and we are listening to King Jesus under his rule and riches and being shaped by his teaching, hallowed be your name. If God hears us in childlike faith say things like that, and he actually does that in our hearts, we won't be like those hypocrites. We won't be like those who are tumbling into that pitfall. There's something about hallowed be your name that governs, guards, and guides the heart into a pleasant living in this kingdom living. You know, I was thinking about hallowed be your name. How do you preach that little phrase? For some of us, you think of the term hallowed be your name. How many have ever even said the word? It's okay if you haven't. How many have not? You've never said that word. <laughs> day to day. Yeah, hallowed is not a, a word that we generally use, right? Um, we, were, we were at dinner a couple nights ago. It's actually a couple weeks ago. When you get older, everything's just a couple nights ago. So it was a couple weeks or months, I don't know. But it was, it was in the past. And we were with this delightful couple. And, um, and this, this gentleman said, hey, I got a joke for you. And I said, uh, spring it on me. And he said, you know, the, the little kid goes to church, and they did the Lord's Prayer, and they come home, and they're getting lunch ready, and little Johnny uh, says to Mommy, I just didn't, didn't know the, uh, God's name. And she said, oh, honey, well, you know, what, what's, what's God's name? Well, it's Harold. And she said, sweetie, I, I don't think... God's name is Harold. Uh-huh. It was, it was um, our Father who in heaven, Harold is your name. That's what he heard. That was kind of a joke, and I laughed. And so it was, it was this sense of, what is Harold? How? So I asked my 21-year-old, my actually my 19-year-old, I said, come on, buddy, you know what that is. And he went, that sounds so strange. I says, well, if, if you're doing it, what are you doing? And he says, well, maybe it's akin to howling, like, like wolves looking to a moon and start howling, like a congregation is so, you're howling. And I went, I don't think that's going to preach. <laughs> what is that word? Hallowed 
be your name. We're moving now into the specific prayer, and we want to zero in on that little phrase in chapter 6, verse 9, in order to glorify our God in heaven and stay clear of this pitfall of hypocrisy. This, beloved, just very well might be the most significant prayer in the entire Bible. If our Heavenly Father hears us asking Him in a sweet confidence, Oh, Father, hallowed be Your name today in my life and in Veritas and in our neighborhoods and through our city groups into our lives just might seriously change from inside out. A life-changing grace given by our Heavenly Father in response to this type of prayer can sweeten our marriages. It can tenderize our parenting. It can fortify our pursuit of holiness. And it can cause unbelievers here in Dayton to be born again and enter into covenant fellowship with Veritas. That's how remarkable this little phrase is. Let's take a look at it. What does it mean? Well, I think I'm going to fast forward a little bit in this to get to the, the essence of this. In verse 5, we see, when you pray, you must not be like hypocrites, for they love to pray and to be seen by them. Truly, they have their reward. So when you look at this motive to try to get approval and acceptance and be made much of by people as we do good things in front of people, you notice that they're on a quest, don't you? In order to get the reward, the Bible calls it a reward. But once they just get this horizontal, temporal, earthly reward, it just vanishes, doesn't it? And his point is, you got it all. That's all you're going to get. But you're not going to get the reward from the Father. And so, so you look at this, and so they're on this treasure hunt. They're questing for this reward. And that's not a bad thing. We are created in that passion and for that hunt, right? That seeking. Just what is the object of our affection? What are we wanting? That's the issue. And so if you fast forward down to verse 21, to summarize these three illustrations and understand what they are after and what we ought to be after, notice it. For where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. You see, we're asking the Heavenly Father to do something matchless, deep in our souls, that we will hallow His name. If He does that in our lives, our hearts change. You see, they change, and we start looking at Him, His name, His character, His attributes, who He truly is, and we see Him as a treasure. <laughs> He's a treasure, and now my heart pumps and pulsates and pants for Him. That's hallowed be your name is to sanctify Him, treat Him as holy, that I don't treat you so reverentially that I want your affection and approval and praise, but rather we are so gripped by who He is that we praise Him. We draw attention to Him. We treasure him, we long for Him. He's our all in all. Not you. Not spouse's approval, parent approval, colleague approval, superior approval, 
it's, it's you. Hallowed be your name. What exactly does that mean? Here's my working definition. Try it on, see if it fits contextually. Hallowed be your name is asking that our Heavenly Father will cause people, you and me and our neighbors, to place great value on who He is. That people we know will highly esteem Him, will treasure Him, will cherish Him, will love Him, will praise Him, will desire to get His peerless reputation out into public so that others will go, wow, what a God He is. Oh God, hallowed be Your name deep in my heart, in the heart of Lisa, my wife, and my children. Hallowed be Your name in Garrison, when he continues to preach, when we gather together and we're fellowshipping. Hallowed be your name when we go off into our respective homes and our children are wanting toys, 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 and we're trying to be patient and kind and grooming them and and, and moving them towards the greatest treasure in the whole universe. Hallowed be your name that I'll be patient, kind, considerate, joyful, in the midst of temptations. Hallowed be your name so that I don't fly off into this seductive pitfall and then get up and start preaching or praying or giving or fasting and then say, hey, JJ, did you see that one? He says, wow, that was awful. You need the work to do. (laughs) Do you understand what that is? Hallowed be your name is to ask our Heavenly Father to do something supernatural deep in our souls. We can't get to it. We can't manipulate it. We can't fix it. We can't fake it. can fake it. But it's there. He has access to our hearts, and we're asking Him to access it in such a way that it reorients and puts our gaze upon the glories and splendors of God. So that we will not be hypocrites, but God worshipers. Hallowed be your name. So now as we close the message and say, well, how does that relate to, we're going to call this the satisfying practice. We want to practice this. We don't want to just say, hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name. We want to understand what's around that so that it is shaped and organized. Yes, this is a pattern prayer, but in the midst of it, there's ardor, there's strength, there's passion. And we really do believe this, and we really do mean this, and we're going to God to do a work deep in our hearts. So how is that going to relate? Put out three ways. Our holiness our discipleship, and our evangelism. The first one is holiness. Yes, we are to pray, we are to read our Bibles, we are to fellowship, we are to take communion, we are to do these disciplines by faith. But never ever forget that in the midst of the practice, there is this great and glorious God who has called us into His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has washed us of the 
filth of hypocrisy and has clothed us in the righteousness of his dear son Jesus and has welcomed us into his presence and calls us sons and daughters. Now our hearts are alive and and ready to make much of him rather than look around for other people to make much of self. And so holiness is a crying out to God for the work that he only can do deep in our hearts. And so that applies to we want to be holy, don't we? We want to be changed, don't we? We want to look more like Jesus. Certainly we do. One of the ways, the primary way, is you've got to do the work. And so please access my heart that I will stop treasuring the plasma TV or the cars or the cosmetics or the cash or the whatever is just so alluring in my eyes and just lift them up and put them on you. The second. the prayer that I submit to you this morning to help one another one another who tumble into the seductive pitfall way more times than we want to admit this morning is oh God won't you please hallow your name in JJ's life hallow your name in Cameron's life oh God he needs that so badly and, and watch what God does through just a simple prayer as we certainly do other things and we model for people and we serve people, but we're praying specifically for that. What about our spouses? We can't access their hearts, but we can certainly pray that this kind of heart transformation and reorientation will occur. We can't access our kids. We can't access our parents' hearts, but we can certainly Look to the one who can. What about evangelism? Oh, we've got ideas. We've got strategies. We've got things that we do. And all those things are good in and of themselves. But this is supernatural living. This area right here so needs Christ Jesus our Lord. And no amount of giving donuts and no amount of of helping with shoes is going to reach that heart. Let's keep giving donuts. Let's keep giving shoes. Let's keep doing things. But please, God, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They're blind. They don't see your glory. Open their eyes. Hallow your name in their life. And watch supernatural, born from above, regeneration. And then they start seeing that their treasure hunt has always been here on earth. And now it's a treasure hunt of Him. And the heart moves that direction and lands pleasantly on Jesus Christ. Those are three areas that it might be profitable to think about this message in terms of application. I want to close with this. Remember our adolescent in the introduction. When pimples and popularity are the biggest worries of life, attention-grabbing strategies might seem promising, but it isn't going to help. 
Now, we might not be struggling literally with pimples and popularity. If you're struggling with pimples right now, I'm not trying to slam you. I mean, you know, we, we pop, we scrub, we place stuff on them, and it's better. You know, I, I'm not saying don't do. I'm just saying that when we have blemishes in our lives, we don't need to merely hide them. We can go to him in this kind of prayer and find ourselves wildly changed with an orientation towards who God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The solution here is supernatural. The solution is what God in Christ does in our hearts. And by changing our heart's quest to quest for His glory and His renown, our lives change. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine. Let us believe that and then go to Him in simple confidence to pray a simple yet profound prayer for each other and lives that do not know the Lord Jesus. Let us ask Him to cause our hearts and their hearts to place great value on Him and treasure Him above anything and everything we could ever imagine. And as we live in this supernatural expectation, we will pray with confidence. And as we pray with confidence, we will be recipients of this great and gracious work in our hearts. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, please, hallowed be your name in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for preserving the text down through the ages so that it can be in our Bible, in our laps. May it be in our hearts sweetly today. And as a result, may we pray in such a way that esteems you, lifts you high, shows a watching world that you are the greatest in the whole entire universe. Teach us, we pray in Christ's name.